millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, April 18th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Jackson City Council and Mayor resolve a dispute over trash pickup in the capital city after a hearing in Hines County Chancery Court. Then, how restrictions on mefepristone would and wouldn't affect states where abortion is banned, plus restoring the land and community of Turkey Creek, Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A dispute between the mayor of Jackson and the city council is settled after both parties appeared in court yesterday. The hearing in Hines County Chancery Court was the product of a year-long squabble between Mayor Shokwe and Tarla Mumble and council members over a garbage contract. Last March, when the city's contract with waste management expired, the mayor recommended Richard's disposal as the new vendor but the council voted down the mayor's request. Lumumba proceeded with the agreement anyway, claiming he had the right to veto the council's no vote. He awarded Richards an emergency contract, which expired last month. But the premise he had the executive authority to veto the council's inaction was enough for members to file a lawsuit. Arguments in the case were heard yesterday in front of Special Judge David Clark. You're talking about he's going by the RFP. Well, I will guarantee you they're going to say the same thing. They're following the law. They're doing what the law says. The mayor says he's doing what he's exercising the authority the law gives him. And we got trash on the streets. It's dysfunctional. We're not going to fix this in a court of law. We're going to fix it in the ballot box, to be honest with you. not really a legal issue for the reasons set forth in the memorandum that was filed in camera that will now be released. The case should never be here. This should be about compromise, cooperation, looking after the best interest of the citizens of this city. And that's the only reason I'm spending the time I'm spending here. Because ultimately, not a legal issue in this context. 
Attorneys on both sides presented their arguments regarding the legal and appropriate process for requests for proposal. After roughly an hour and a half of back and forth, Judge Clark concluded the parties have been unwilling to compromise. What we have seen from the opinions is that it is the responsibility of the mayor to negotiate and present to the council, and then the council has the options the option of selecting, voting to uh, approve his uh, selection or not. But also the council has a limited right to negotiate, and that's kind of what I'm seeing, what I'm understanding, is that when the mayor made the recommendation to the council, the council basically negotiated with the mayor and said, if you go back and you do this and we add this and we put a dump truck in or whatever, then maybe we can look at this again. There was somebody missing, though, and that was the vendor. I think we have uh, reached a tipping point here with this city. This city can recover from this debacle and move forward, or we just can become mired in it and fight from now until everybody's voted out of office and we get more people in. You know, it's kind of like parents and children. I tell parents all the time the things that you do, you're teaching your children to do. And the things that this council and this mayor is doing right now, the things they are doing, uh, will have an impact on people who will hold those positions in the future. Before taking a recess, Clark urged the council and the city to come to the table with the vendor and find a solution. I was a chancery judge for 30 years, and of course what we deal with mostly in chancery court is family matters. And I learned early on when I was an attorney that uh, sometimes litigation is not necessarily the answer. Sometimes putting on the gloves and swinging at somebody is not the Answer. Sometimes sitting down, discussing things, and coming to some resolution is the answer. And it saves lots of time, lots of heartache, lots of money, spares the shedding of blood, etc., etc. That's kind of where the city is at this point. And, and what I hear from what everybody is telling me is that you've already embarked upon this process. It's just that the vendor is not present. I do believe under the authorities we've cited that both the mayor and the council have the right to negotiate a contract. But only the mayor has the right to recommend it. So in that respect, the mayor has the, the first option. Once he recommends to the council, the council has the option of selecting it or rejecting it. And if the council, if the city of the mayor rather recommends Vendor B and the council approves Vendor B, can the mayor veto that? Yes, he can veto any action of the council. So, what I'm suggesting to you is that we take a break and the council and the mayor sit down with the vendor and negotiate this contract. I'm going to tell you why I think that's important. If you issue a new RFP today, you won't get the same price. 
it's going to cost you no telling what to do an RFP today. And what I'm hearing Ms. Perkins say is that you have an RFP based on October 2021 prices. That's correct. Where are you going to get that? Following the proceedings, Council Member Ashby Foote spoke to members of the media and acknowledged the judge's call to find a resolution. He wants to try to reach a, um, a resolution so that the garbage can be picked up, and I'm glad he's trying to do that. And Council, says, what are your thoughts about the judge saying we shouldn't even be here in court? I think it makes a good point. It's really, you know, uh, become very dysfunctional in Jackson City government, and that's sad for the citizens particularly. We, so shouldn't, the, we shouldn't have to be at this point. So this mediator role that the judge is playing is to get the council and the mayor to come up with some kind of a deal. Compromise, right, yeah. For Compromise. a contract for Richard's uh -huh. disposal. For at least, you know, an interim agreement that would get the garbage picked up. After closed-door meetings, the city did announce it has come to terms on a 12-month agreement with Richard's disposal. A spokesperson with the mayor's office says it will be an emergency contract that will expire on March 31st of 2024, and the month of April will be prorated. The council will vote on the contract this afternoon, and they anticipate trash pickup will resume tomorrow. The city council is dropping its lawsuit against the mayor. Coming up, how restrictions on mefepristone would and wouldn't affect states where abortion is banned. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. In Texas, one judge ruled to make distribution of an abortion pill illegal. Another in Washington state issued a competing ruling. Now the fight over mefeprestone has made its way to the U.S. Supreme Court. But as Meyer Miller reports for the Gulf States Newsroom, advocates and physicians say outlawing the drug wouldn't change much for people living in states with total abortion bans. Robin Marty is the operations director for the West Alabama Women's Center. The center used to provide abortion care, but that changed after Roe v. Wade was overturned. Now it provides birth control, HIV treatment, and care for transgender people in Alabama. We're finding a way to take care of all the things that were just as hard for people to access as abortion was. We're committed to existing as a place where people who do end up terminating their own pregnancies, because we know they will, um, can come and make sure that they did it safely. A little over a week ago, a judge in Texas ruled to suspend FDA approval of mifepristone. It's a drug that can be used to manage miscarriages and is one of a two-part series of drugs widely used in the U.S. for abortions. But within an hour of that ruling, another judge in Washington state issued an order demanding the FDA keep abortion pills available, at least in 17 states. 
The battle over the drug is headed to the Supreme Court. But while things are changing fast, Marty says a mifepristone ban would barely change daily operations at the Women's Center because nearly all abortions have been illegal in Alabama since last June. Advocates in Mississippi say not only are they not providing mifepristone, but they point to legislation gaining popularity in states like Texas, which would limit providers from even talking about abortion pills. All it really is, is it's distracting all of the liberal places that are supposed to be supporting us into watching their own backs. And I hope that when it's done, they remember that we're still here and they may have had their victory and everything's still the same for them. But we are still in so much trouble and we need them. Dr. Jennifer Lincoln is an OBGYN. She's also the executive director of Mayday Health, which helps people to find abortion pills in all 50 states. To her, it's hard to really know what the courts will decide, but she says pregnant people seeking abortions should keep trying. So the workarounds are out there and they exist, and we're thankful for that. But we at Mayday also completely acknowledge that this will affect the people who are already the hardest hit. Ordering abortion pills online can cost hundreds of dollars, and sometimes it can take weeks for the pills to arrive, and that's crucial time in an already narrow window for a medication abortion. Lincoln says that though she's not a lawyer, it's clear to her that banning mifepristone is less of a healthcare move and more of a political one. The drug was first approved by the FDA more than 20 years ago. She says abortion opponents will not stop with mifepristone. Those who want to take the choice for abortion away from us cannot stomach the idea that we can use medication abortion pills to take back our control. That's why they're going after this. They will very soon be coming for emergency contraception and hormonal contraception. This is part of the plan of reproductive control. U.S. Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito has put a brief pause on new restrictions to the distribution of mifepristone while the court considers the legal challenges. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Maya Miller. The Gulf States Newsroom is a collaboration between Mississippi Public Broadcasting and public media stations in Louisiana and Alabama. Coming up, restoring the land and community of Turkey Creek, Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The MPB Public Media app just got an update. It's now easier than ever to interact with your favorite MPB local shows and experts. With the brand new Talk To Us feature, you can engage with your favorite MPB local shows anytime, day or night, directly through the app. Simply select Talk To Us from the MPB Public Media app's menu. There, you can leave a question, share show ideas, or simply just say hello. With the new Talk To Us feature, you have access to your favorite MPB local shows and experts anytime you want to talk. What can you do with the MPB Radio app? Listen live, hear local news, view the schedule, make a contribution, listen to shows on demand, and interact with social media. Get the app for your smartphone now. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Bob Moses and fellow civil rights activists risked their lives in the 1960s, joining sharecroppers and day workers in Mississippi to forge a movement to register black people to vote. Moses was also an educator with a legacy of dismantling historical inequities and disparities. Today, the Bob Moses Fund for Education and Organizing supports those builders and preservers who embody his spirit. Men like Derek Evans, a historian and former Boston school teacher. 
Evans is leading a 20-year effort to preserve the land and history of Turkey Creek, Mississippi, and he's one of the latest recipients of a grant from the Bob Moses Fund. In part two of our conversation, Evans explains how he and others have worked to preserve the land, starting with getting on the Registry of Historic Sites. We got that done in 2007, uh, so that's been over 15 years. Um, recently, uh, I, uh, we actually got an award from the Southeastern Association of Architectural Historians, the best of the South, for a, a historic preservation project uh, with an old paymaster's office from a turpentine plant that's located in our community. Um, that was the only surviving relic of uh, the community's longtime importance to the, the forest industries of, of South Mississippi. And that's been restored. Um, I have, and, and one of the great reasons why I think that the Bob Moses Award is so timely and, and relevant to our community is uh, a couple of years ago, I purchased from the Harrison County School Board the old segregated Turkey Creek uh, school uh, property, um, which includes two very historic school buildings that serve not only the black children from Turkey Creek, but from surrounding areas uh, of Harrison County. And that is going to be, uh, with this award and and other resources that will be needed and and technical support, that that site will be repurposed uh, and reused once again as a, a place of teaching and learning for commu- of community stewardship, whether that's um, cultural, historical, environmental, um, urban planning, um, art, culture, you name it. Is the National Park Service helping with restoration? Well, they have, and hopefully they will again. The National Park Service um, awarded a $500,000 grant uh, about five years ago, to um, salvage and restore. And it was really almost an impossible task, but we got it done. Uh, this particular site on Creosote Road, a very small structure, but of a tremendous importance to local, state, and national heritage. And that, of course, was the Yaryan Phoenix Naval Stores Paymaster's Office. Uh, and that support made that possible and like i said we the project actually won uh in 2021 the best of the south for historic preservation a documentary has been done about turkey creek ultimately would you like this to be like a tourism site where people would come and experience what you have shared with us yes indeed um tur- educational tourism. I mean, not just tourism for tourism's sake, but this is a, like I said earlier, this is a very, very uh, richly uh, instructive location, community, people, structures, environment, uh, as well as our activities uh, over the last 20 years to save it from being erased, uh, which it was on its way to being erased as a community or as a living uh, almost museum, right, of, of, of important uh, local and American and Mississippi legacy and heritage. So we'd love to, and for folks to come and learn uh, and see and witness and participate and, frankly, take home 
uh, some really important lessons that I believe they need will probably need to apply um, in many places where they might come from. Do you offer tours at this point? We do. We have. We've, we, we've taken people for years out on the creek through our different our ecosystem. We've, we've hosted environmentalists, bird watchers, civil rights history, African-American history, all kinds of people with different interests have something uh, that uh, that would fascinate them uh, in Turkey Creek. How can they reach you? Well, we're at Turkey Creek Community Initiatives, which is um, on Creosote Road, 9439 Creosote Road. Uh, there's a website called Come Hell or High Water, the Battle for Turkey Creek. All right. Is there anything I didn't ask you that's important to mention? Uh, I just want to say again how honored I am to be um, thought of uh, in the same uh, breath as Bob Moses, um, who is an incredible uh, inspiration and really like a a compass, I I should say, of how to do the right way um, the kinds of work that I and, and other people do. Uh, for the benefit of communities. He really, in so many ways, taught people to look inwardly at what they had to work with among themselves and and within their own hands and to turn that into not just power, but something that was instructive uh, and sustained uh, in that place and beyond. And I, I really am just honored. And Bob Moses is now deceased. He passed in 2021. He was 86. This is his family that has developed this legacy to keep his work going. We so appreciate you taking the time to speak with us about Turkey Creek, Derek Evans. And uh, hopefully some folks will hear this and want to come and visit. Thank you. Turkey Creek, which is on the Gulf Coast of Mississippi, was founded by former slaves. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.